Hello and welcome to the Total Quidditch podcast, a place where we talk to the people who make Quidditch what it is and give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. Welcome to March for episode number five. Starting out this new month, we are heading to Scandinavia to talk to today's guest. This player's Quidditch career spans five clubs, four countries and two national teams. She certainly enjoys travelling. However, she is fond, most fondly appreciated in her home country of Norway, for whom she captained at the first European Games in 2015. An experienced chaser and beater who loves to eat, sleep, rumple, dunk, repeat. Elizabeth Jørstad, welcome to the pod. Thank you. and Thanks for having me. Did I, did I get your uh, pronunciation of your surname there right? It was pretty good. Um, I would say Yoshta. Uh, so that's way better than I've heard pretty much any other British person say. It. So good job on not, that one. Not too far off. Not going to lie, I've been, I have been practising. <laughs> uh, so how are you? How has life been in Norway during the pandemic? I'm fairly okay. I mean, I'm very fed up with the entire thing, like everyone else. And especially Oslo has been shut down quite a bit the last four months or so, not being able to do have any practices uh, and so on. Uh, but Norway in general is doing like, just looking at the numbers, we're doing fairly okay. And I still get to meet friends. I still like have a job to go to that I enjoy. So I'm doing fairly well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to hear. Fantastic. So we're going to jump into it. Um, so what brought you to Quidditch? Were you much of a sporty person before you started playing? I did play handball when I was younger. So I think I started when I was around 10 and I quit just after turning 17. So that was like my main sport, but I was never like very good at it. I wasn't dreadful, but I definitely wasn't good. Um and then I had a couple of years without doing any sports really before I started studying. And I was going to join like some kind of sports uh, once I came, started studying at NTNU. Um, and then uh, I saw this a Facebook event about Quidditch practice. And I w- had one mutual friend who was going, but I was fairly skeptical. Uh, and the friend was only like a maybe attendee. So I didn't think I would go. And then this other friend of mine who had just met uh, after we started studying together, and uh, she saw this, not a poster, but like A5 size paper thingy hanging um, somewhere on campus with like Quidditch practice in front of the main building. This time, this uh, bring your own broom. And, <laughs> and she basically told me we were going. So suddenly we were going. Uh, and then it turned out to be fun. There were a bunch of people who who had no idea what we were doing. Like this was the third practice they had ever or so. Um, well, there was one guy who knew what he was doing. That was Kai, who had played before, but this was his first practice in Norway. But the rest of us really had no clue. Um, so that was my first introduction to it. And I mean, it was fun. So I kind of stayed around and haven't really managed to leave ever since. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of peer pressure from your friends kind of encourage you to come along. That ha- yeah, I, looking back, I'm very grateful. Hey, long gone. <laughs> yeah, no, she uh, ended up dropping out after a year. It was too little Harry Potter and too much sports. <laughs> oh, fair enough, fair enough. The uh, so at that point, I guess it was all very brand new. I mean, you're running around on on actual brooms and things like that. Um, was there much structure to the way you trained or played the game? 
uh, not ready. Um, and we weren't a very big team in the start either. So we would have like six person practices, uh, which I mean, you can play three versus three, uh, but we weren't exactly used to playing with full teams. Um, I think for, we managed to have like the first Norwegian national championship took place uh, in spring of 2013. Uh, and we did actually have six teams there, but it was us and five high school teams. Uh, and the, the refs that generally didn't know the rules and we weren't using the, used to playing with like actually full teams and uh, it was all very new and um, yeah, we, I think we improved a lot more later. It was all a bit chaotic in the beginning, but it was still pretty fun. Well, chaotic with a lot of kind of intent to play, which is good to see. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so not too long after that, you went on exchange to Oxford, where you joined the Radcliffe Chimeras. And in that season with them, not only did you win the British Cup, but you also won the European Cup, uh, playing alongside Ash Cooper, who we interviewed uh, a few episodes ago. Um, so I guess, what are your memories of that, uh, that season and becoming European champion um, so early in your career? I, mean, I really enjoyed listening to Ash's episode because, uh, I mean, so many of those are also my memories, like the very, the, the ferry where everyone got seasick, uh, staying the three hours up there it was in the hotel from we entered a place to we had to leave it. And that was the sleep we got um, the night before the first day of the tournament, uh, playing on ridiculous amounts of mud. Uh, I remember one of the, the pitches was actually pure mud by the end of it. You could see like leftovers of grass below some of the hoops. Um, but also the atmosphere where like it was so new to everyone. I don't think we realized at the time that that was what it is was. Um, but we were all like just so excited to be there and it was so fun and meeting people from all over. Um, so yeah, that part was really cool. And when it comes to like winning EQC so early in my career, at that point, it didn't really feel so early in my career. I'd been playing for a year and a half, but there was no one there who'd played for five years or anything like we have today. Uh, a year and a half was, I wasn't the most experienced player, but I'm guessing the most experienced player they had maybe played for three years or so. So okay. I didn't think of it that way. I mean, it was very cool to win it, and it was a great weekend. And even though the bus rides were long and so on, it was also a great experience as a team together going on that journey um so yeah it, it was pretty cool the entire thing mm -hmm. so quite an interesting perspective um did you say at that point you were sort of really committed to the sport or was it a case of this is a fun thing i enjoy like you kind of did it as more of a hobby than a serious sport at that point i mean i think i was quite committed uh, before that, um, so my first year with NTNUI, I kind of ended up being president of the club already the first year. So it's oh. not as if I didn't spend time on Quidditch already. Uh, I volunteered to be on the exec, uh, but I didn't specify position. And the others who volunteered specified positions and suddenly I was there as president. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, so I think I was um, quite committed, but in the more like organizational, this is fun and I'm enjoying it way. Uh, the first year and then my second year when I was in Oxford I think it was more a case of the, the more of the sport around it um, I think I got more involved in that but that was definitely also before EQC. 
so I don't think it had a big impact on that. Massively than uh, before. Yeah. Um, so it was such a nice change to go from like six, maybe eight people at practice to actually like being able to play with full teams. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was definitely a, uh, a difference there. So towards the end of your time in the UK, you were selected to play for Team UK, the UK national team, at the 2014 Global Games in Burnaby, Canada. Also, while you were there, you went over to West Fancy in LA and made a real trip of it. Um, what are your memories of that experience going to the, basically the other side of the world to play Quidditch and how did it feel traveling so far to represent a country that wasn't your own, wasn't Norway? I don't think I thought too much about the not Norway part of it because this had been like my Quidditch life for last year already. Like these were my normal teammates. So that part, I mean, I didn't know the national anthem as well as I probably should have, <laughs> but neither did a oh, bunch of the other players. So yeah. that was fine. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, try, as you mentioned, we first went to West Fancy in LA and it was basically a two week holiday of traveling with 10 or more friends the entire time. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, West Fantasy itself was really cool, played on this pretty good team, uh, including some um, uh, future Team USA player, and they should have been Team USA player for that year. Uh, so that was a really good experience. Uh, and then the tournament itself, um, I don't think I remember, I mean, I remember parts of different games. Uh, I remember... The first game we played against Belgium, and two minutes in, I set the screen on Jana uh, from Belgium. And half a minute later, when there's a stoppage of the game, I realized that I have blood in my face. <laughs> uh, so uh, the we the official story is that she might have accidentally bitten me, but it might have been the glasses. I'm not sure. Uh, so I also had a hospital hospital trip in Canada. Uh, so I finished the Belgium game. I played the US game where we were absolutely slaughtered, like 150 nil. Uh, it was it wasn't my best game. Let's put it that way. Uh, and then I went to the hospital to actually like to get glued back together with this cut in my face. It came back like think mid Australia game or something. It was just uh, put down the pitch straight away. Um, so I think that's the game part of it I remember the best. Uh, and I also remember at some point, a Team UK's chaser lineup was two Norwegians and an Australian. Uh, that was one of my, like, from Very the bold. funny perspective, favorite moments. <laughs> uh, but I think the main part of it is just like the two weeks holiday with a bunch of great people I really enjoyed hanging out with. Um, and that might not have been the main thing if we'd actually managed to get a medal. The fourth place there was. Not what we're aiming for. I know you talked a lot, Josh, about that. Um, so, of course, it would have been nice to get the medal there. Uh, but it didn't happen, so too bad. Yeah, it is what it is. It sounds like quite mm -hmm. an eventful weekend. Uh, well, eventful trip, really. Yeah, I mean, the, the tournament itself was only one day, uh, which is really strange looking back now, but there were only seven teams. So I guess mm. it worked out. Uh, packed a lot into yeah just one day of Quidditch so uh, yeah you played you played I think you played uh, every team once and then you played like the position games after that so seven games in total in one day so it was a pretty intense day yeah for sure for sure uh so after that you came back to Norway 
with NTNUI uh, Rumbledunk in Trondheim, which is where you were playing before you went out to Oxford, um, your university team. Um, so where was Norwegian Quidditch at this point in time? Did it kind of moved on a little bit more from when you started out, or was it still similar? I mean, maybe we'd gone from an average of, from seven to nine people of practices, but I think like that one semester when I came back uh, was a time when Norwegian Quidditch had this quite largely forward. Um, so it really helped that Kai had left Trondheim, which in itself obviously not was, wasn't good for us, but he went to Oslo and helped start those time. So we had an actual other non-high school team somewhere in the country um, and someone we could play against. So that was definitely helpful. Uh, we started having the the autumn tournament, Oslo Open, and not only the nationals in the spring. Uh, so we actually had more games to play. Um, and that's also... Uh, when we suddenly managed to, exchange, uh, to get exchange students to join us. Um, and I'm not really sure why that was the semester where we suddenly got hold of them, but suddenly at our introductory practices, there were a bunch of people who didn't speak Norwegian. And there were so many people in general. Um, so that semester we went from being used to like never playing full teams uh, to always playing full teams. Um, and they were so dedicated, like we started two practices a week um, and then we got another practice time. It was way better than the other one. So I was asking the team, like, which other one would you want to skip? And they were like, oh, no, no, we want all three of them. We want three practices a week. Um, and this was when exams were coming up. Uh, right. So I think we got like, uh, we definitely got the numbers up. We got an extra team and we got uh, more enthusiastic people as well. Okay. Um, Quite a... High, quantity, high number of them anyway. So I think that was a very good term for Norwegian Quidditch and I, a great step forward. Yeah, really accelerated there. Um, so in that season, you were the captain of the team. Um, you also went on to captain Norway uh, the, um, the summer of 2015, uh, the end of the season for the national team. Um, were there any elements of your time in the UK that you tried to use while you were while the captain of the team? Uh, I definitely stole a lot of things while coaching then. Um, uh, so I had Ash as my coach the year before, and like all any like tackle and especially like falling when you practice falling so you can take a tackle, those were just stolen directly from the year before. Uh, certain beta drills were. Um, for chaser drills, I think I took some there, but I took more from handball uh, because that seemed more similar. Uh, but I, yeah, I took a lot of things from the UK. I like the other podcasts you've uh, had, they talk about how they watch like US footage or try to came up, come up with new things. I think I that year mainly just stole knowledge from the year before in the UK, uh, with some exceptions, like some more handball and so on. Yeah, that's quite a good, interesting mix there because you've had experience of things working within Quidditch, but then also looking at a sport that's very similar to Quidditch, handball, which obviously a lot of Norwegian people have experience with, and then taking those concepts and then converting them across. Yeah, and also I was, uh, my co-coach that year was Jerigen, who also had a handball background. So it's not that we were like amazing handball players and all the, the team knew handball and so on. It's just that that's where we knew the most drills from. It was, that mm. was the place it was natural to be like, which drills can we think of? And when I was in the UK, having drills of practice wasn't, I mean, we had it towards the end, but it was a lot more just playing during practice. Um, so I think that was also the reason that we had to invent those ourselves. 
And I do think it's a sport that really resembles the chasing game. So it did really make sense to get elements from there as well. Mm-hmm. It's good to hear. So something we've talked about in the past when you came on with us last year to do the uh, the European all-time draft, did the announcement that we talked about the, the NTNUI talent factory, how year on year there's a high turnover of exchange students studying at the university who are recruited to join the team. And they train and then you guys go to EQC and compete with some of the best teams in the continent and regularly made a habit of these upper bracket runs or certainly challenging uh, other teams across Europe. So what do you think has been the key to the success? What do you feel and do you feel your own experiences as an exchange student have helped you contribute to the team environment? I think it's been a mix of things. Uh, some of it is definitely luck uh, with getting the right people in. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who will be uh, willing to try something new and something weird and crazy when they are on exchange. Who wouldn't necessarily try Quidditch while at home. I think we were lucky enough to get them. Uh, we had the advantage of being a sport. You could actually join even if you were just there for one semester. A lot of the others couldn't. And because we had exchange students already at some point, we were there speaking English, we were approachable. And um, I'm not sure my experience as an exchange student made too much of a difference in itself, but I think the team and partly probably helped by me in the beginning had more of a being open to foreigners culture than a lot of Norwegians do. Um, foreigners who come to Norway often find Norwegians quite reserved and difficult to get to know. And I think we managed to change that culture a bit in the Quidditch team, which made it a lot easier for them to stay. Um, but I think a huge part of it is also the fact that we got these fairly sporty people who couldn't do whichever sports they've been doing before uh, for a short time while in exchange, but they wanted to try something new and probably fun, uh, which they could like talk to their friends about. And then they ended up enjoying it. And then we ended up playing against them at future EGs, World Cups, EQCs and so on, and halfway regretting that we ever taught them anything. Yeah, that must be quite strange. <laughs> it's it's a bit annoying, like seeing these star players from other teams being like, yeah, they used to be ours. Yeah, <laughs> uh, is it kind of a case of you think if these team if these players had stayed on the team, would we have a potential Norwegian European champion or? A team I mean, we have we have talked about doing like an NTNUI All Star teams and send it to BMT or something, and we started looking at what this roster would be like, and it's such an amazing team. Um, and I'm like, of course, I am very proud whenever I see these people, uh, like, say, Team Belgium, when they were playing the World Cup final, two out of the six who started, originally started playing with NTNI. Like, of course, I'm going to be proud when I see that. And a bit sad, but mostly proud, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, Just be able to see their continued Quidditch journey um, in different environments and kind of watching how they blossom over the years must be a pretty good feeling. It is, but it's also good to like, I mean, you know, these there are these star players that people will know who are like Chris Fawn has done amazingly. I mean, most people listening to this will know who Mikel is and so on. Uh, but I'm also pretty proud of all the people who didn't make like the very top, but maybe went home and started their own Quidditch teams. Like, we have someone who went to start the first team in Korea. We have someone who went and started the team in Denmark. So that's by far the best team there. We have someone who took over the best team in Chile and made them South American champions. We sent people who made teams in Poland and the Czech Republic. And I'm really proud of those as well. Those are, I mean, 
considering how many people we've had an impact on by them coming to us and going home and creating new teams, that's also a really cool thing to think about. Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting, sort of amazing to hear really, just how you can impact the sport both in terms of the gameplay, but also in terms of spreading the word and getting those people who are sort of ambitious enough to start the sport in their country or in another country. Fantastic. Um, so we're going to look at EQC 2017 now, which is I'm, I'm sure is quite a fond memory of yours. When NTNUI famously beat Paris Titans in the quarterfinals of the tournament. And it's the only loss that Titans have ever had in EQC history. So a pretty momentous occasion. How did you approach this game? Did you have any specific training to beat the Titans specifically before the tournament? Or was it just a general approach? to EQC? We definitely did not have any specific tactics against Titans. We weren't, we hadn't really considered that we might meet the Titans. Uh, we focused on the teams we we're going to play in our group play. Um, and we had two opponents we were expecting to be fairly tough with uh, Honeybees from Turkey and Romana. Uh, so we hadn't really prepared specifically for other teams in this. Uh, so we were, went into that game very much thinking that we should just play our own game. And I think what, what a lot of teams do when they play like the really big teams is that they become defensive, they try not to let in goals and take it slow, um, and definitely don't think they're actually going to win this. And I think we were massively helped by the fact that we had a bunch of players who were new to this. Some of them were playing their first tournament ever. Others had played for, I mean, most of NTNUI at that tournament had played for less than a year, uh, including... Now, I don't remember how much of the starting lineup, but plenty of people there as well. Most of our playing chaser lineup had less than a year experience. And these people just didn't have any, like, why should they respect this random other team? We've been winning our other games. Why shouldn't we win this one as well? And I think that really helped us. And they also, I think they gave that mindset more or less to the more experienced players as well. Uh, the idea that, of course, we're going to go there and we're going to play our game. We're going to do our best. Um, and I mean, it worked out. It probably helped that I, Titans underestimated us as well. Like, why would they expect anything from us? And to know, the year before, we're in the lower bracket. They won it, but still, they were in the lower bracket. Um, so, why on earth should this team really stand a chance? And I was beating that year uh, together with Lisa. Uh, we kept switching, but she got injured the game before. Uh, and this was like my only season as beta. So, I don't think they were expecting too much on the beta side either with this like one usually chase, chaser who was now suddenly beating without really having too much of a sub. Um, so I think it's part, uh, a lot of the attitudes, especially coming from our new players and some underestimation and some of our players having just amazing games that one game. Okay, that's quite an interesting sort of mental approach to it really. Because I find with some people they have different ways of approaching a game. So say there'll be people who they want to know every little detail about the teams they're playing and sort of the more knowledge they know, the better it is for them for defeating that team. Um, but equally, you kind of said there were players there who were brand new to the sport. They didn't really know what they were getting into. And it was a case of, OK, we just play our best. It doesn't matter what the other team's doing as long as we do what we're doing. And then I guess that's what gave you the edge in that game. 
Yeah, I mean, that's not, at least in the Chaser game, that was a huge part of it. Um, most of the people in the Chaser game or the Gruffle game were new enough that they wouldn't know who these individual words were. In the beta game, uh, none of us were new. So we obviously knew the Titan beaters, uh, but we also had some good beaters ourselves. So we weren't too worried about that part, I think. Yeah, just kind of playing without that pressure of uh, sort of that idea of, oh, we are playing the European champions, which would get to a lot of people. But I think that's quite quite a good, fresh way of thinking about things. And also uh, in a way, it's less pressure, though, because you're not expected to win. Uh, yeah. And I remember, like, after start, we started playing and then I suddenly realised we were up 2010. And I remember <laughs> being really surprised because I, I say that, like, these others have the mind, new people gave us the mindset and so on. I was still so badly expecting to lose that game. I mean, I was playing it as a proper game and not as a defensive, we're trying to not let in goals kind of game. But I was still really surprised when I realised that. Shit, this game has actually started properly and we're still <laughs> in. We're, like, actually, uh, like, in the lead right now. Yeah, got got nothing to lose, and then yeah, pulled off a, a massive upset. I remember being at the the tournament myself, and there's this crazy sort of half an hour where everyone went over to watch the game, and then saw the end of it, and then obviously you guys winning, Jurgen catching the snitch, incredible scenes. Everyone can't believe what's happened, and then everyone rushes over to watch the Raptors Werewolves game that's happening another pitch, and how Wales were able to beat beat Raptors in that. It was two massive results in the space of about 30 minutes. It was pretty incredible. So yeah. going on with I the rest I didn't of the get the second one there. I was too exhausted to play <laughs> what yeah. was the full game. Just played one hell of a game. Um, so going on the rest of the tournament, uh, you ended up finishing four for the end, which, as we've kind of talked about before, probably the worst place to finish in a, in a tournament of any sport. Um, so losing to Meta Unicorns in the semi-final, and then Wales, London in the third place playoff. So after such a momentous win against the Titans, is your memory of that tournament bittersweet to an extent? Uh, no, not really. For so with the well, for the game against Unicorns, we were even until this match came on pitch, and then they managed to pull ahead. They simply had a better Quaffle game. Uh, we're just without the beaters than us. Uh, so I mean, it could have gone both ways. Uh, we could have managed to catch it earlier, but we didn't. And shit happens um i am slightly bitter about the third place game against werewolves though and not the way we played not the way werewolves played uh but the fact that the scorekeeper screwed up the score by three goals uh, and the head ref didn't notice and i mean it's a very hypothetical but if we assume that the game otherwise would have been the same the game wasn't even supposed to be in range when the snitch came on uh, so that felt extremely bitter knowing that we were probably robbed of a medal because of terrible officiating. Yep. Um, so that's the part I'm bitter about for the tournament, but not our own performance. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things that it's obviously pretty frustrating, but at the end of the day, you did everything within your power. I guess that probably makes you feel quite pleased that you did what you could in that situation. Yeah, but I really, really hope like we'll never have another EQC game where they manage to score the score by three goals because that's god awful dreadful. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got to agree with that. Got to agree with that. Um, so we're just going to re- rewind it slightly because um, in the middle of your time at NTNUI, you went on exchange again, this time to study abroad in the USA. 
uh, over in Santa Barbara, California, where you played for the Santa Barbara Black Tips. So how did playing Quidditch in the West region of America compared to your previous experiences in the UK and Norway? I, I think what you notice most of the time is how it is within that specific team. Uh, so I don't think the difference I experienced was that big between my different teams just because of the country as it would have been between teams uh, in, well, closer countries or even the same country often. Um, but there are, I mean, there are some differences. You have the fact that not everyone can just go to nationals where you can do in Norway and we used to be able to do in the UK. Um, you have uh, more powerhouse teams, like the teams that are actually just a bunch of friends who are really good and decided to make a team together, which I, I know the UK is now with like Raptors and Werewolves and whichever other teams have popped up. Um, but Norway doesn't have that. Uh, and the UK didn't while I was there. Uh, so they turn up in the US. And there's also this, um, I mean, you have to qualify for a national shore. Um, but there's also, in Norway, I would always know someone who was in the national governing body in the UK, if you play a couple of years, you probably know someone who's there as well. Belgium, you definitely do. Uh, but in the US, you don't. It's all further away. It's all more, in a way, it's more professional. Like you have this actually organization up there that runs things. Um, but um, in everyday life, I didn't really notice that much of a difference. I mean, it was still a team, many of students were still trying to recruit. Um, I think in my very early days of Quidditch, I thought of um, the US is a place where like with so many incredible players and everyone was good and so on. Uh, but you also have all the average or even below average players, uh, which you don't see when you, I mean, they are, they are the ones who travel to fantasy tournaments abroad, come to the World Cup, play for Team USA. Um, so you kind of lose that part of it. You only see like the very best of the US otherwise. Uh, but the, of course, all the other players also exist. Okay, so I guess it's kind of a sense of you went from being in Europe and kind of being, I guess, sort of a big fish in a small pond and kind of a smaller community to going over to America and just the sheer size of it and kind of being small, small fish in a big pond, kind of that idea. Yes, but on the other hand, you wouldn't notice that much on a daily basis because it would still be this one team you would play with. You would still... Like experienced people on the team would still like have friends on the neighboring teams. The neighboring teams might just be closer or further away. Um, and they would be a way smaller portion of the total amount of teams. Okay. Um, just before you went over there, had your teammates heard of you before within Quidditch or did you kind of have quite a low profile joining the team? Uh, there was someone from my West Fantasy team uh, two years earlier who was had played for the Black Tips the year before I joined. Uh, he quit that year. Uh, but I found, for example, my housing and my roommates through some Quidditch people. But I didn't really know anyone who still played on the team when I started. But they knew that I had played before and that I was decent. Uh, but it's not as if I was super famous or something. It was more like, oh, yeah, you've played before, right? Well, I think I like, have I seen you before, maybe? And then I met also some of my old teammates from West Fantasy on the other West teams we played while I was there, uh, which, of course, was nice to see them again. OK, so kind of having a few small links in there from previously being over in California is quite a, a nice way to settle in, I guess. It was. It was very convenient. 
for sure. And then wh- while you're over there, who would you say was the toughest team you faced? So there's some pretty pa- pretty powerhouse teams out west back in the day. Yeah, I mean the big two ones from LA were Lost Boys and Gambits, um, and we actually almost meant to draw against Lost Boys. Um, we were 30 down, they scored, and then we caught. So that was annoying at regionals. <laughs> so it was like a proper game as well. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, well, Gambits, I think I think we had one like okay game against them. And then we had one, I think they beat us quite heavily. So those were probably the best ones we played against them. Okay. Well, I guess it's quite, quite rewarding to go all that way and then to play these really good quality teams and get like a proper experience of playing the sport over there. Yeah, um, in a way it is, uh, but it's also, it's not as if they play a way higher level than some of the national teams in Europe do. Uh, so it's not as if I was on the pitch there thinking like, oh my God, these are the best people I've ever played against anything. Uh, but it was very cool to play against them, definitely. Yeah, just kind of, you, you hear all these things about different American teams, those actually experience it for yourself. Um, yeah, it must be pretty incredible. Um, it was pretty cool, especially when we liked the games were closer. That was very cool. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so going to jump a bit uh, further ahead in time. Um, talk about your experience in Belgium. Um, you went over there for a bit to play uh, in Ghent with Ghent Gargoyles. So how was that experience compared to your previous trips abroad? I think Quidditch took a smaller part of my life than it had the others, especially when I was in the UK. That was a huge part of what I did. Well, in Belgium, it was more this extra thing. And it was partly because I was only staying there for one semester and not the EQC semester. Um, so I, I think I played one tournament uh, in Vienna with them. And then I played some league games for the second team of Ghent. Um, and otherwise, I turned up to practices if I wasn't doing something else that day. So it was a lot more like chill attitude towards the entire Quidditch thing while I was there. And uh, so that was like the personal part of it anyway. Okay. And there's someone who's obviously built a bit of a reputation within Europe, obviously. Captain Norway, you played in the national team for various years and done all of these things. Um, do you feel that the Ghent players sort of look to you for advice and kind of tips and tricks on the game or was it a case of you say you kind of kept it quite casual and kind of didn't want to draw too much attention to yourself I mean I definitely didn't like try to take over practices or was encouraged that or anything I think oh yeah I had one practice when Nick was gone but that was it um but I would do a lot more like on an individual basis not like loads but I would be able like be happy to offer tips like maybe this maybe that uh, is this a way of doing it uh especially if i was beating a practice it would like if you're beating with a less experienced beater at practice it's a lot of constant uh training uh, and feedback the entire way uh so i do feel like i would contribute to like individuals ability to develop a bit more but not massively uh but i definitely wasn't taking a huge role coming in there okay i guess that's quite good um because obviously everyone gets quite into get people within the sport get quite passionate about it so i imagine it was probably good for you within your career to have this time where yeah i'm playing quidditch and i'm enjoying it but i don't need to do this role i don't need to be this important figure um so it must have been quite a good sort of i guess break for you in a way 
I don't know. I, I've actually had similar things quite a while already. Like I hadn't been coaching since that uh, Wednesday we already talked about in NGNI, which at this point was I think three years ago. Um, I And I mean, I had had other really good players on my team always. So I wasn't like a standout alone player. I was one of usually several good players. Uh, so it wasn't a break in that way, but it was, I, I do prefer being a team member over having to coach the team or captain the team, I realized. Uh, so it was nice that way. And it was also nice to uh, go into tournaments and games and not have to feel that I had to come to every practice or have a bit less commitment at a time. Uh, mm -hmm. But I also probably should say I made it sound like, uh, or potentially made it sound like I knew so much more than all the Gent players. But again, at this point, had quite a few good players already, and they were perfectly capable of coaching themselves as well. So it's not as if I even would be able to come in at this like rescue person who would make them so much better because they were a pretty good team already, and they've just kept improving since at least last time I saw them, and they were Atlanta play. Yeah, exactly. I think it's testament to their ability as a team that you could take that back foot. You could have a more sort of, yeah, casual experience with it. Um, yeah, and they've gone on to be pretty fantastic. I was I was very impressed with them, as I said, in the, the last episode with Louis, how they played at the last European Championships. And uh, yeah, they look like they're kind of the leaders of Belgian Quidditch right now. Yeah, it's so strange because at the EQC 2015, we absolutely trashed them without even trying too much. Um, and now they're actually a really solid team. And I was a bit surprised. I was expecting them. Uh, I wasn't expecting such a change. And after all, not that many years. Mm -hmm. That's good to hear. I'm just curious. So when you've gone abroad, obviously it's kind of based around your studies and that obviously been quite a key element of these these uh, sort of stays away from Norway. Um, so when you have gone abroad, have you had much choice in terms of choosing where you go? And if so, how important was Quidditch in that decision making process? Um, so I started by studying maps and maps is pretty universal. So it's quite easy to go uh, a bit wherever. Uh, so when I was in Oxford, I actually applied to Oxford because it's fancy and cool and special and all those things. Yeah, and, and I didn't, yeah. Uh, so it seemed like really cool to be able to go there. I didn't know that they had the Quidditch team when I applied. Uh, so even though Quidditch took a lot of my time there, it definitely wasn't a factor when I applied there. Um, when I went to the US, I... Uh, so NTNU, the university, had very like easy to go to exchange agreements with Berkeley and Santa Barbara uh, as like the two West Coast ones that a bunch of people went to. And I might have partly, but not only, picked Santa Barbara because they, the year before, had the better Quidditch team of the two, which <laughs> were fine because the year I was there, Santa Barbara was worse than Berkeley. So um, <laughs> that wasn't the best idea. It was also partly because I didn't want, I mean, I'd done the, elite university thing by then so I wanted to I didn't feel the need to go to Berkeley uh, well when I went to Ghent uh, when I was in the US I switched my uh, topics from maths to economics so my bachelor's is one topic and my master's is in economics um, which is a two-year degree in Norway which is why I had the time to do the third exchange here um, which was under half year in, in Belgium and originally I wanted to go to this place uh, in uh, Germany that actually had the same semesters in Norway. 
as Norway does. Uh, and then they decided they didn't want master students from my university anymore. When suddenly I was exactly with like three options that I had to choose from in like April, May, the, the term before I was going. And um, and then I picked Ghent because I knew some people there, uh, and I didn't feel like. I don't know. I could have gone to Groningen or Blurben, I think. Uh, but I figured, like, if I don't, if nothing works out and I don't find any friends, I can just hang out with Quidditch. So, mm. Ghent won that way, but it was it wasn't my original plan. Yeah, so I guess it played a part in terms of you wanted kind of, I guess, a social life and to still be playing the sport and still be connected with it while you're away. Yeah, but the, the sport itself was actually a smaller part of that, I think, because my original place in Germany barely had a very early developing team. So I was quite OK with being without for a 12 year. It just didn't actually happen. Yeah, for sure. So obviously when you're so committed to something, it's obviously quite unide- unideal to be uh, away from it. Um, but obviously yeah, it's worked, I mean, I, worked out I'm pretty, pretty well. <laughs> yeah, and no, I'm pretty happy how it turned out in the end. And I'm also very happy I like actually had the opportunity to go abroad three times. So I know that's not normal, but I've, yeah. I'm very happy that I've been able to. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Um, so we're going to bring it back to Norway. Uh, so nowadays you play with Sagana, who's a community team based in Oslo. Um, so how would you say that experience of being this brand new team as compared to your previous experience with NTNUI or your other teams that you played for? I mean, it's very different from what NTNUI was in the start in the way that we're mainly a bunch of experienced players. We're still a bit too few players, so that's very familiar. Um, But it is, I mean, we get some new players and without any experience, but it is kind of nice to have a bunch of like properly experienced ones as well. Uh, So in that way, it's a luxury. Um, And it's also a community team almost with our students, uh, which means that we don't have the Tuesday evening parties uh, that certain other teams would have, uh, which I think it fits my current life a lot better. Um, but otherwise, I, I don't know. I mean, we have the, um, the small team challenge, which Antinoi doesn't have the same way now that uh, Oxford definitely didn't have when I was there. Um, so that stands out a bit. Uh, but that's not necessarily a community versus university team thing. Yeah, and uh, can can be quite tricky when you're playing those smaller teams and sort of, I guess, sort of avoiding injury and playing long games. Um, obviously, you get a lot of value for money. You get lots of playtime, which is also fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah no, I do. I do love the play behind bars part of it, but like EQC 2019, day one we had nine players, and a couple of more would have been nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, obviously, now you're sort of back in Norway on a more permanent basis. Um, how would you say Norwegian Quidditch has changed over the years? Is it still kind of as sort of ambitious? as it used to be and sort of tighten it or is it adapted a bit to the times? I mean, I feel like it's still tight knit between the teams. I feel like we, so NTNUI, when they start, first started growing, it was very much exchange students. Um, I mean, without a few more Norwegians every now and then. And at this point, I feel like the Norwegians we've been adding now and then are actually like becoming a huge group of people. Um, 
So it's, I feel like we're becoming like, for example, in the Norwegian national team, uh, I think last EG, we only had one exchange student on the team uh, and the rest were people who either live home or permanently or, or are Norwegian. Uh, so I think like that's one of the bigger changes that we've actually managed to like make Norwegian Quidditch and not only exchange students and a few Norwegians hanging out, uh, which is probably long term a very good thing. And you also get to know the people that are. We have a lot of people who've been in the community for five years or more. Um, maybe not a lot, but like quite a few, uh, which also I think is a huge benefit that we like we're becoming a proper group of people and we're not as reliant on the very few like if say Kai and I both had quit my first year of playing I'm not sure that team would have survived we're not in that type of situation anymore and uh, we have other people's people who would step up and that's a luxury when you realize that uh, you're not that important anymore you're just one out of many people here who could do the job and sure someone has to do it and so on, but it's really nice to not be that people dependent, but they're having a community more than individuals. Yeah, it's fantastic to hear you know, just how it's kind of stabilized a bit more over the years, and you're sort of not relied on players coming in from overseas who obviously don't stick around. They've got to go back to where they came from after their exchange period has come up. Exactly. Um, obviously, you've played at top level in Europe for quite some time now. Would you say that you have or have had any rivals in your position, either as a chaser or a beater? There's like there's no one I've actually thought of as a rival. I mean, I've had like, oh, this team I'm playing against also has this good player in my position, uh, but I've never considered them really rivals in that way. Okay. And I guess probably changing the angle slightly, are there certain players that have inspired you and kind of kept you engaged in the sport wanting to improve other way more on that side uh, i've been really happy whenever i've had say like this bad that's amazing really good female chasers suddenly on my team like for example joining team uk having Gemma there uh, was really nice uh, and she was probably better or she was better than me at tacklings which also was an inspiration um with ntny now we've had stina who has these amazing handball skills she manages to bring into Quidditch. Um, so I'm probably way more inspired by them than any rivalry. And of course, like just watching uh, people on other teams as well play. Uh, like I still remember sitting and watching Edgem take down Farmer at World Cup in like 2016, just because it was so cool. Um, so I really enjoy watching people who just do amazing things. Uh, and it is really inspiring. And sometimes it's just cool. Like, I don't have to think about being inspired yeah. part of something. It's just really cool to watch. Yeah, it's, it's really good to hear. Of, uh, are you kind of taking inspiration from all these different players, from all these different teams? Yeah, I'm not going to say that I, like, actually manage to, like, uh, improve based on what I see. But at least it's really <laughs> cool to see it. And it's motivating. Yeah, of course. It keeps you engaged in the game, knowing that these there are these other people playing in there sort of bring the standard of the sport that bit higher year on year mm -hmm. uh, must be really motivating yeah and it's been great to see like the, the sport move forward over these years uh the teams who played great seven years ago uh it, 
okay, it's the, the people were fighting, they probably would have managed to change their tactics, but the game has changed a lot and definitely for the better. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, so, wrapping up the main section of uh, the episode, uh, we haven't really talked too much about your time in the national team with Norway. Uh, so, we'll do that now. Um, you played with them for is it five years now? Um, uh, yes, I think so. I like every year there's been a Norway national team, pretty much. Yeah. The, um, 2015, a, a, so a, lot of, a lot of tournament experience, a lot of memories to draw from there. What would you say has been kind of your, your highlights playing with Norway? Um, I think I would never hear it again if I didn't mention beating France at last EG. It's the only team that I mentioned beat them. Uh, that game has become like a thing within which national team. Uh, I think we've watched, we've watched it way too many breaks during uh, practice sessions afterwards. Um, so I probably should mention that. Uh, otherwise, I was really happy about managed to get a medal uh, during EG in Oslo, um, the home turf part of it. And also, we just had a really good team that year. We had so many great individuals who've gone out to do great things uh, other places, a bunch of them. Um, and I guess that's the last time Norway actually were anywhere close to the podium in an international tournament. Um, but yeah, that was I really enjoyed that one as a whole. Mm-hmm. And what about your captaincy year in 2015? What have you gone from playing with the UK the year before over in Canada and then Santiago, Italy, you're captaining the first ever Norwegian national team. What well, was there a real kind of sense of pride there? There was, definitely. Uh, if I were to mention number three in your previous question, that would probably be it. Um, I mean, it was cool. And we were aiming for third because we honestly believed we were one of the top three teams. Uh, and we managed, so that was pretty cool. Um, the tournament itself was uh, interesting, had some pickups here and there, like a pitch that wasn't playable and some smaller pitches that you were supposed to have, a thunderstorm in the middle of it and some other fun things. Uh, but it was definitely like a fun experience as well. And it was cool to uh, have it as more like my team and a lot of people who I had taught Quidditch to in the first place. Um, I think part of the reason it also doesn't stand out as much anymore is because so much has happened since. Uh, but I definitely have good memories from that tournament as well. Sure, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> obviously, there wouldn't be a Quidditch tournament without some kind of controversy. I remember following the, the thunderstorm on Twitter, kind of going, ah, why would this end? <laughs> yeah, we were sitting on these tents and like we just waiting for the pause and trying not to like get soaking wet from all the rain. <laughs> Yeah, it's not not what you expect for uh, summertime in Italy. No. no. You touched on um, beating France the last European Games. And obviously, you'd beaten the Titans with NTNUI. And in many ways, the France team is very similar to the Titans team. So how did, how did those two experiences compare, would you say? I mean, uh, I just want to answer like what you didn't really ask first. So the the France team and the Titans team are very similar. The Antinoi and the Norway teams were not at all. I think I was the only player who played for both of them, and I played different positions in them. Um, so they're really not the same, which makes it cool anyway. Yeah. Uh, beating Antinoi with Antinoi was definitely cooler. Um, 
it was actually uh, a bracket game, so it actually made like more of a difference. Beating France was actually a really bad idea because it gave us <laughs> a tougher way going forward in the tournament. Like we got to sleep more the next morning. That was the one advantage. Otherwise, it was a terrible idea to beat them. Um, <laughs> well, beating Titans was so unexpected. I think we we had more faith in us beating France. Uh, we some of us didn't really think we were going to beat Titans, uh, and it was so upsetting, like such an upset for everyone um we were for the time was really really exhausted by the end of it and yeah no that definitely wins okay it, it, yeah it's interesting to hear that comparison really um so obviously you kind of had the heat of a, a bracket game as opposed to a group game and obviously said it kind of made your path in the rest of european games quite difficult but obviously also kicked uh, the french into gear and they went on to win it um so, yeah, I, I am glad they won after we beat them. That's it's more fun to like beat them, being the only ones to beat the eventual winners. Yeah, that must be quite satisfying. The, uh, but yeah, quite quite a interesting international career. Um, to have all these different memories and obviously uh, drew attention to the home European Games in Oslo in 2017. Um, did you feel like there was much interest around the tournament then as sort of the organising nation? Not really, to be honest. I mean, Quidditch hasn't taken off in Norway the same way it has many other places. Uh, or that's true and not true. Uh, Norway is a fairly small country. Like, we have five million people. We have, uh, I don't know, three or four cities with more than 100,000 inhabitants. Like, per capita, the number of Quidditch teams we have with five or whatever it is now, it's actually pretty good, uh, but still not a lot. Uh, so if you have it, have tournaments like that in the UK, people come from all over the country, which is a lot easier to travel than Norway, by the way. Um, and you won't necessarily send more people per team uh, or per capita or so on, but you'll send a lot more people. Um, while in Norway, I mean, some of our friends turned up, uh, our family somehow turned up, team like local players who and some other players who weren't on the national team turned up but it's not that we got this crazy crowd elsewhere uh, i think there were probably more team uk supporters than there were norwegian <laughs> supporters at that tournament uh, which is crowd. kind of sad um uh, but yes i i don't feel like it had like at all sorry was there much in the way of media media attention uh we actually made the front page of one of the biggest newspapers so oh. that was pretty cool. And some the news channel as well. Um, so at least we're visible there. Yeah, for sure. The, I guess that's one of kind of the nicer perks of playing Quidditch is you get all this attention um, at certain points in your career. I think if you mm -hmm. ask a lot of Quidditch players, there's been a point where they've been, I don't know, in a newspaper or on television for playing the sport. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, Obviously, you kind of said like Norway's quite a small country, but many ways to achieve what you have achieved and to compete with the very best in Europe, um, also at the World Cup and things like that, is quite a big achievement itself. Um, just kind of as we were discussing with Louis in the last episode about Belgium, because um, having that smaller player base, um, and sort of, I guess you had sort of high schools and universities to recruit from, unlike say the Belgian case, but you've done very well considering. 
Yeah, Belgium. I think that's, I mean, it's comparable, even though Belgium obviously have done even better and managed to have this one group of players coming from Antwerp who just managed to stick together the whole way. And that's somehow taken them to the World Cup final. I mean, we're not quite at that level, but we, we have some of the same, I mean, challenges with few people, but advantages of people knowing each other, being used to playing together, uh, consistency on the national team over several years. Um, not that many clubs that need to be somewhat merged to make a national team. And I mean, obviously it would be better to have a ten a player pool 10 times the size, uh, but being small, it does have its advantages as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, when, I say, when we say smaller, we're talking more about the number of people because Norway as a country is quite massive. I mean, oh, I, yeah, did, definitely. I did a bit of uh, research before this. And I kind of compare the driving distances between some of the cities. And you're looking at sort of five, six, seven hour one way trips. So in many ways, the commitment of some of the players in Norway is, is pretty incredible. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was my life in Trondheim for NTNY. Uh, our closest team was in Oslo. It is a seven hour drive. It usually took us eight hours though, because we need to get some food in the way and so on. And we had to like pick people off, up or drop them off or whatever. Uh, so there were some pretty long, but very fun road trips. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, so that kind of concludes the main section of the episode. So we're going to move on to the mailbag now, mm-hmm. so where people have sent in various questions for Elizabeth to answer for us. Uh, so thank you to everyone who sent their questions in. So let's see. Let's start off with a fun one. I think it's a fun one. How long can you hold a plank for? Um, it used to be like four or five minutes, I think. Um, and then uh, when I was in the US, I, uh, sorry, this is a long answer. I know it was supposed to be a quick question. Uh, <laughs> we, right. I, I tried rugby for a couple of months and we had these physical trainers like at the gym for ourselves. And they were like, oh no, you're holding your plank all wrong. You're supposed to do it this way. And then I managed like maybe two, two and a half minutes. And it was so much tougher. And now it's probably way less than that because uh well corona happened and i'm definitely not as fit as i should be uh-huh yep uh everyone should know course jumps are pretty important for any sport so it's uh good to hear that <laughs> um it's more of a serious question um what impact do you feel you had as one of the first flagship female chasers in the uk game were you aware of this at the time and did you feel the pressure of living up to this I mean, I was aware of the fact that I was definitely one of the, let's say, top two female players in that position in the UK. Um, and I do hope I managed to prove to other female chasers, especially that uh, they could actually take part in the game uh, back then and probably now as well. A lot of them are sent like, you can stand behind the hoops and maybe we'll pass you the ball every now and then. And on defense, you can go like protect the other female chaser and it'll be fine. And I really hope I managed to someone prove that you can definitely be more than that. Um, and so that way be an inspiration to at least some other players. Um, but I don't, I didn't really feel the pressure from that part of it. I mean, I felt a normal pressure before games that I think everyone feels, uh, but not specifically because of that position. Mm-hmm. So that's a good answer. The no one hit. Do you have this one Quidditch moment that haunts you in your sleep? The one that makes you cringe whenever you talk about it? 
I have a couple where I'm like, oh God, why? Um, or I should have done this differently. And I realized they pretty much all are related to beating. Um, I did like this one missed beat I did or this one beat I didn't attempt early enough so they could score. Or even when I was a chaser and I didn't give the right call to my beaters and tell them to go do this thing instead of that thing and then the other team caught instead. Uh, so I do have a couple of them. Um, the last one's probably the most annoying one. You can see 2015 when we still had this idea that you could keep your bludger partly in defense even when the snitch was on, which looking back is a terrible idea. Um, but yeah, we had a bludger that should have been more on the uh, seekers and I didn't tell them to go up and fix it even though I was captaining. And then the other team caught and we lost that game. And we would have been in the semis otherwise. If we if we won that game, so that was really annoying, and that's probably the most uh, not keeping me up at night thing, uh, <laughs> but the most annoying one. And all the other ones are like, why didn't I make that beat earlier in that game, or uh, how could I miss that one? Kind of things. Yeah, I think especially with beating as well, you get a lot more of those moments where you think, oh, if only I'd done that. And obviously, yes, exactly. <laughs> And I mean, I haven't even done that much beating. I was only like a pure beater for one year, not yet, even that. And despite that, beating moments are the one that, that really stand out at all cards moments. Uh-huh. Um, so circle back round to the fitness. Uh, legend has it that you can do one-arm push-ups. How did you learn to do that? Um, so at Team UK practice at some early point. Uh, I don't know if the team was even selected. Uh, Ash had this fitness session that we're supposed to do, and I think with the push-ups, and then was like, and now we can do one-arm push-ups. You do them like this. And I tried, and it worked out. There's nothing more to it than that. But it is like a fun thing to surprise people with, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I could do it. And, oh, yeah, and just after that, uh, I slightly hurt my other shoulder so I couldn't do normal push-ups so for a couple of months those were the only push-ups I did terrible idea because like the strength yeah. distribution just like was completely yeah. screwed up yeah. after that <laughs> so now I don't really do them anymore how how, how many could, can you do unbroken uh I mean the brokenness didn't make a difference there uh I don't right now probably not many because I haven't tried it in a while uh back then I don't remember. I think I was like above five. I'm not sure I managed to reach 10, but I, I'm struggling to remember, unfortunately. Uh, okay. Well, it's, it's impressive upper body strength. I know plenty of people who can't do a single normal press up, let alone one arm one. So, I mean, to be fair, there are two different types. Sorry, we're getting technical now. But one is like <laughs> if you have your arm like just below your chest, I don't stand a chance. They're really tough. But if you like have your uh, feet quite far apart and your arm quite far out and the other arm on your back, it's a lot easier. So that's like if you're decent in push-ups, this is my recommendation to try and see if you can do that. Um, chances are some of you who didn't know that you could are fully capable of doing so. Uh-huh. You heard it here first. Uh, good bit of advice there for anyone looking to train out there. Uh, I've got a couple more questions left for you. So um, this one's from Armand. Uh, good friend, friend and teammate of yours. What is your favorite position and why is it beater? <laughs> um, Armin was the one who made me beat the one year I was actually a beater, uh, because then we would have four actually good beaters on the team and uh, make such a difference also practices. I usually do prefer chasing, um, 
but not every time. So the fun about chasing is obviously you get to score goals and you get to more be more, even if you don't score them yourself, you get to be more part of it directly, the goal scoring part. Um, but a lot of what is fun is like, well, it's creating something with someone else. Like you build up something together that has this really cool result. And um, I've probably had more of that in chasing. Uh, but there are also teams where I've preferred beating, um, where I've had like a beating party where you get a lot of the same feeling of this is really cool. We're pulling the off. Look at what we're creating in a way here. Uh, and maybe the chasers on that team haven't like worked that well out with my way of playing. And then I would suddenly prefer beating. Um, but in general, chaser and now only chaser because of the third question I know you got together with those two. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, sorry, Armand. The chasing wins. <laughs> yeah. And also now, uh, the last time I tried beating, um, I tried catching a bloodshot. I failed and it hurt, but I tied back in. And I tried to catch it again and it hurt like hell. And it turned out I had torn my UCL, which is like a ligament in your thumb. Oh, wow. Uh, and had to do surgery and my flexibility snuffed back and my grip strength isn't what it is even two years later. So now I'm definitely chasing. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. You've certainly been through the wars. Obviously, you mentioned earlier about uh, playing at global games with uh, that injury you had and going to hospital. With, uh, it's like a pretty tough character. <laughs> I mean, that one didn't hurt too much, though. The, the fun thing, I stopped playing after that <laughs> for the rest of that tournament. Yeah, makes sense. Um, we're going to the last question now, which I guess kind of fits in with your, I guess, traveling ways. Um, so you've played in lots of countries in lots of different roles. What would you say are the biggest differences when playing in these different countries? And what would you say is universal between all of them? I mean, I feel like these are things we've already touched on. Um, but the different one of the differences is the the distance to whatever is the top of this, whether it's gameplay to the top or the organizational top of it. Uh, like my teammates definitely didn't know anyone working for USQ when I was in Santa Barbara. Uh, they definitely did in other countries. Um, uh, another difference is, I mean, we talked about the Trondheim Oslo drive. Goddamn Belgians have no idea how lucky they are. Like, if they have to drive two hours for a game, they, they're like complaining about how far it is. I'm like, really, really, a two hour drive, this is such a luxury. Uh, well, the UK was like this weird thing in between. Um, there's also a huge difference in the amount of teams, obviously. And like, people do know each other cross teams, uh, but in the smaller countries like Norway, Belgium, that's, of course, you know, a huge. Uh, for larger parts of the country. Um, I feel like a lot of these are like obvious differences. Um, but I really stand by what I also said earlier that once you're on a team and the daily, like everyday team life, yeah, I don't think the country matters that much. I mean, you still have uh, probably too few, but maybe too many players. You still have to have the synergy within between the players you still have someone who has to take on the different responsibilities coaching presidenting all of that um so i think there are more uh similarities that way mm -hmm. um, i don't I, I remember that the question we was asked originally had the next question but i don't remember if you actually asked that one which one was that can you remind me 
<laughs> uh, um, surprising similarities between them. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I I think the one that would surprise early player me the most uh, was how much um, you still have all the average, not outstanding players everywhere as well. Uh, because I think I thought about the level in US is higher than it was on average. Um, but of course it isn't uh, most places. I mean, some places like University of Texas, you have two amazing teams and not everyone makes it, I think. Uh, well, most places, it's not like that. You still have the people who want to play Quidditch turn up. Uh, they go to the practices. Some play more tournaments than others, of course. Um, but it's the same. It's usually not the huge triad thing to be able to play your zone. Um, so a lot more things are the same than they are different. Mm -hmm. That's that's really interesting to hear. Obviously, you've had quite a unique Quidditch career, and it's been it's been a real pleasure over this past hour or so, getting to hear about all the ins and outs of it. So yeah, Elizabeth, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun to just talk through all of it. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I'll bring back all the, the good memories. Exactly. Uh, so that's all we got time for, for this episode. Um, so thank you to everyone who sent in their questions to that mailbag and to the, everyone for listening. If you want to stay up to date with future episodes, please give the Total Quidditch Facebook page a like. We'll be announcing upcoming guests on there. And of course, giving you a chance for you to send in more of your questions. So until next time, keep yourselves safe and... Live the game. Goodbye.